Uh, last week, we started this TV Guide series that Grace told you about. Welcome. And, and we talked about the Big Bang Theory. And tonight, we're talking about The Walking Dead. So when I was in college, I went to Howard Payne up in Brownwood, Texas. A little small, kind of, I'd call it a country town. Uh, it's a 4A high school. It's not super small. But right across the uh, road from the university is a, a funeral home. And when I was there, the funeral home had an apartment that was above the funeral home that they would rent out to a college student. And they rented it out for like a, a lower amount of rent for the month if the person working there would do odds and ends and do some like cleaning around the funeral home, like, you know, vacuuming, dusting, things like that. So there was a guy who lived there in the, in, in the apartment that had keys to the funeral home. And so it wasn't uncommon occasionally at night for him to invite people over to his apartment, and then they would go walking through the funeral home at like midnight. Who's in? Anybody? A couple? Okay, yeah. Some, some of you are like, I, I'd do that. You know, that kind of freaks us out because we're afraid that like something happened like this is a, a true story. This mortician told it. And this is why I think some of these things like freak us out. He'd been a mortician for 20 years. I mean, he's a veteran. And he was, had an early morning wake that he had to get a body kind of prepared for the night before. So he's kind of working late into the night, getting the last things done for this funeral in the morning. And, and he's got the body, the cadaver, the person that had passed away on, on the table. He's doing some work. And he turns over, turns around to, to grab some stuff. And out of the corner of his eye, he can still see the body. Out of the corner of his eye, the body begins to sit up slowly. True story. He's done this for 20 years. And he says, Fight or, uh, fight or flight hits him, and, and he's not fighting. He sprints towards the door where the stairs are, and as he's running up the stairs, he slips on the stairs, and he said he was literally craw- clawing his way like up the stairs, just heart-pounding, adrenaline shooting, and then he realized, because he's a veteran, he's done this for years, this has never happened, he realized rigor mortis had just set in on the body, and the muscles and stuff had contracted, and the body had just began to like rise forward because of rigor mortis. And he said, man, after he kind of caught his breath, and he says in the story, he said, I'll be honest with you, I soiled myself. I had to go change clothes because I was that scared. Like, death, death freaks us out. De- death, is, death is really final, and so it bothers us. Even if you're a believer, maybe you're a follower of Jesus, and you know, hey, I know what eternity holds. I know that I'm going to be in heaven. I know you were here during the, the Game Changer series, and we talked about the new heaven and the new earth, and you went, Man, I know that's for me. Death still is a struggle for us because it's at the very least like a a closing chapter for us in our relationships with somebody, a a grandparent or a brother or sister or friend. And so it's going to be difficult. And one of the reasons why it's really difficult is because we're not used to it. You know, the the more you're around something, the more desensitized you get to it. Like when my wife, when Amanda was a senior in high school, her, her mom moved into a new rent house, and it was a nice house. It was like a four-bedroom house. It was really big. It was on a lot of land. It was a rental, and there, she was renting it for like 500 bucks a month, which was like really cheap even back in the days that she was renting, and, and like we thought, man, this is such a great deal. How did you get this deal? And then we realized how, because when the wind blew from the north, it blew through, the wind blew through a dairy towards her house. Now, if you've ever been in the, in the country and you've ever been near dairy, you know what that smells like. It smells like 7,000 cows that have dropped manure on the ground. 
And so there was a time you would, you would drive up to the house and you'd get out of the car. As soon as you got out of the car, it was like, whoa. Like, you, know, you just got hit by a wall of cow manure smell. You know, you're just like hard to breathe. And, and you go, man, that's just terrible. No wonder this is so cheap. You'd go in the house and about a minute, two minutes later, the smell's no longer there. And you, you could walk back out to your car and the smell was no longer there. It wasn't the wind blew because someone else could drive down the road and they could pull into the, the driveway after you're standing there going, the smell's gone. They could get out of the car and they would go, man, I can smell the dairy. What happens is your, your nose shortly after time desensitizes itself to things like that. That's why you can walk into somebody's house and may have like a, a lot of cats or something like that or a lot of indoor animals and, and their house smells like cats or dogs or things like that. And you walk in and you're like, man, this is a... This is a Febreze moment, you know, and, but, but they don't notice it. They become desensitized to it because they're around it all the time. And so part of this, this issue with death that we struggle with is we're not desensitized to it. We haven't been to a whole lot of funerals. We, have, you know, we might have lost a loved one here or there or a friend, but it's not something that happens on a regular occasion. My very first church I ever served was, I mean, it was in, in Sydney, Texas, little small town. Everybody that lived in Sydney was like, senior adults, just about everybody that went to this little church. And, and so in the five years I was there, I probably went to 20 or 25 funerals of people just because it was a, an older congregation. And so over time, when you go to 25 funerals in five years, I mean, when you're going once every couple of months, death doesn't bother you as much anymore. You become desensitized to it. That's why if you go to a funeral home tonight or tomorrow, you'll see a family and they'll be grieving. They'll be, they'll be hurting their friends will be there and their friends will be somber. And you can walk into the room where the funeral director and the pastor is and they'll be laughing, telling stories, you know, behind a closed door because it's just a part of the job. And so it's become something that's more, life and death is, is a lot more normal to them. Even when their own family members pass away, it's a little bit easier to process because they're desensitized a little bit to it. But we're not. And as we talk about the walking dead, what, what I want to suggest to us is that we've become more desensitized to death than we think. And I'm not talking about physical death, but I'm talking about spiritual death. We're going to look at a passage of Scripture in Ephesians in a moment. So you can go ahead and flip there if you want to use your table of contents to find it. It'll be there in one second. But, but we are actually, you and me, are, you and I are walking around dead people all the time. We're, we're, we're living around people who are spiritually dead but we don't realize it because we're just used to it. You have friends that, that if, they, if they died tonight, would not spend an eternity in heaven. They'd spend an eternity in hell. You've got family members that are far from God. You've got people in your class. That, I mean, they have no clue who Jesus is. But it doesn't, even, it doesn't even register to us when we go to school. It doesn't even make us like, raise a red flag because we've just become used to it. And I want you to go to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to see what Paul says about spiritual death and what he says to us about spiritual life, and then we're going to make this correlation. We'll circle back around to the walking dead. So go to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 1, and this passage of Scripture is not one of those that's, that's really easy to understand because Paul writes in a way that you and I don't typically talk, and we don't typically read unless you, know, you read Paul's New Testament letters quite a bit. It, it might seem a little bit smoother to you. But we're going to read several verses, and then we're going to come back and just walk through it and try to explain it in a way that makes sense to us, okay? So let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Paul says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins 
in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved, verse 6, and raised up with him, and seated us, he raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. And then a famous verse, maybe you might have memorized, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Now let's go back in and jump in and kind of see what Paul is saying. And what we're going to discover is that Paul is going to define, give us a picture of two different worlds or two different kingdoms, two different places in which people live. And so he starts in verse 1 describing one of them. And he says, hey, to this, this church in Ephesus, you're very familiar with it because you used to live in this kingdom. And he'd say to us, he'd say to you and me, hey, everybody in this room knows this first kingdom I'm going to describe. He says this, when you were in it, you were dead in the trespasses and sin. Not physically dead, spiritually dead. You were dead in the trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. He says, you lived in this world that it was, was, was spiritually dead. And here's what it looked like. In case you don't remember it or in case you're trying to define it, he said, when you were in that world, you spent your time in the course of the world. You, you were kind of in the flow, the river of just worldly thinking, and it just took you along. I read an article today where a lady was talking about growing up in the church, and she said, you know, the church she grew up in, the church told her that, you know, that Christians are going after the American dream. That's not biblical, that's the course of this world. It's kind of this, this idea that, hey, if we, we make a lot of money, have a right relationship, have a great husband or a wife and, and two and a half kids and, you know, a nice house and a white picket fence. If I get all of these things, it'd be great. The course of the world says, hey, you do whatever you need to do to succeed. You need to do whatever you need to do to make yourself number one. And Paul says, you used to live in that, where everything you did was about, about the king that was called me, myself, and I. He said, that's, that's where you're at. And then he said this. This is, this is kind of heavy. He says, you were following the prince of the power of the air. That's another word for the devil. That's Satan. Paul says, you were just going after worldly things, and you were following, you were following after the devil. Now, most of us in here would go, okay, time out. Time out, time out, time out. You said that we've all been there. I've never been there. No point in my life have I ever been a Satanist. At no point have I ever like sacrificed a goat and took its blood and made a pentagram. That is not, I don't know what you're talking about, but I was, I've never followed the devil. What Paul would have us understand is this. There are two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of Christ, follower of Jesus, and there's the kingdom of the world. And, and the person who's leading the kingdom of the world is the prince of the air. It's Satan. And if you, when you were not following Jesus, when you were following self and you were doing your own thing, you were following after what the devil would have you do. The, the, and here's the thing. Satan doesn't want you to think that way. Satan doesn't want you to consider that you might, if you're not a follower of Jesus, that you're following what the devil has in store for you. 
He doesn't want you to think that because he knows that if you went, well, I'm not following Jesus, so I guess, yes, I'm a Satanist. I follow the devil. That, that would make you go, <laughs> okay, no, that's, I don't want that option, so I'm going to come on over here. He would rather you be ignorant. He would rather you not consider it that way. He would rather you think that you are like, like a spiritual Switzerland, neutral. I'm not in this kingdom. I'm not in that kingdom. I'm right in the middle, but there's no such thing. There are only two kingdoms. And if you think you're in the neutral spiritual kingdom, you're actually following the prince of the air. Now, here's the, here's the bad news. We've all been there. Here's what he says. Look in verse 3, or into verse 2. He says, you're following, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of dis- disobedience. He says, that, that, that spirit, that kingdom is still alive. Satan is still at work. Satan's still tricking people and convincing him to do the things that, that lead to death and not life. And he says he's at work and he calls the people that he's working and the sons of disobedience. They've been disobedient to God. Verse 3, here's where it is. Among whom we all once lived. We were all there. If you've never made a decision to follow Jesus and make Jesus your Savior, you're still there. But every person in this room that says, man, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus, you once were there. And he describes it a little more. He says you, were, you, you lived in the passions of the flesh. You were carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. I, I want what I want. I want. I want pleasure. I want to feel good. I want my way. That's what he's talking about. That's the, that's the the, the pleasures of the flesh, that's the, the passions of the flesh, the devi- desires of the body and the mind. He says, we were by nature, by na- you were born children of wrath. You were born with this, 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 in this kingdom. You were born with, the, with the, the nature to sin. So it's not, you didn't really have to choose it, you were just there. Anybody have like, anybody have a little brother, little sister, like, like, like I'm talking about like little, like one, two, three years old. So you guys, if you can remember having those kids, at those age in your house, there was a time where like, they're like two years old and your mom or dad said to that brother or sister, hey, go, go put your shoes up. And that two-year-old looked at your mom and dad and went, no. And you went, oh, you better watch out. As a two-year-old, it was, it was by nature to say, no, I do it my way. I do it mine. I mean, we can't even form complete sentences when we're two years old, and we're already disobedient. We're already chasing after selfishness. I do it my way. That, Paul says, that was your nature. You, you, you were born with that bent to sin. That, that, that's kind of bad news. He says, you were born under the wrath of God, like the rest of mankind. We, we were all there. We were all in this kingdom. Now, here's what's cool. I love the ESV version. Now, if you have an NIV or something else, it may not say this. But I love in verse 4, my translation starts with this. But God, you're in this kingdom. You're chasing after the world. You're chasing after your own desires. You're trying to find satisfaction. You weren't ever going to find it. You, you, you were all about worshiping self. And it was the wrath of God was going to be poured out. It's bad news. And then verse 4, he says, he draws this line. He goes, but God. And then he shows us a picture of the other kingdom, which some of you have, have stepped across into. Look at verse 4. It's, it's much better. He says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace we've been saved. Paul says God has this rich mercy. He says it's by grace that you've been saved. So if you're a note taker, here you need to write this down. Some of you might already have these definitions. 
But we use these words like mercy and grace, and we read them in the Bible, and most of the time we don't use them. Like, you didn't use the word mercy or, or grace probably today. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Mercy is you come home, and your parents have told you if you fail this test, you're grounded. And you come home, you fail the test, you deserve to be grounded, but for some reason, your parents have mercy on you, and they go, you're not grounded. That's mercy. It's not getting what you do deserve. And Paul says God is rich in that. You you were children of wrath. You deserve the wrath of God. You deserve God to set his face against you because you were sons of disobedience. But God is so rich in his mercy, he didn't give you what you deserved. And he talks about grace. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Sounds very similar, right? Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Very similar, but not the same. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. So if I just walk up right now, what's your name? Jace. If I walk up right now and I go, Jace, here's $500. And he goes, what's that for? Because I, I want to give it to you. He didn't earn it. He didn't do anything. He doesn't deserve it. Now, if he went out and like, you know, mowed my lawn and, you know, did a bunch of stuff and earned $500, that wouldn't be grace. It's what he deserved. But he doesn't deserve it. I just hand it to him for no reason. That's grace, getting what you don't deserve. And Paul says, in this kingdom, God is rich in mercy and he's rich in grace. We're going to see that in a second. Matt Chandler is a pastor of the church in the village, up uh, in Dallas. Church is called the village. And he tells this story. It went like viral on YouTube as he's preached it. He tells this story, and I'll try to get it right. I, I know the gist of it. He, he had a friend that uh, he took to hear like an evangelist, hear a pastor of this church. And the friend of his was not, was not a follower of the Lord. And he said, hey, I want you to come here. And so he went and took his friend and some other friends were with him. And they went and they heard this like pastor preach this message. And he was talking about purity and he was talking about sexuality. And in the midst of his sermon, he pulls out an object lesson. He pulls out a rose. And he shows this rose to everybody that's, you know, in the audience. And he starts talking about sexuality. And he starts talking about diseases and stuff that can, can happen when you have sex outside of marriage and stuff. And he starts pulling some petals off of the rose and dropping them because they're representing bad choices. And then he passes the rose to the, to the person in the front row. He says, hey, just pass that around. Let everybody see it and touch it. And he goes on with his message. He's talking about it. And at the end of his message, the rose has kind of circulated throughout the building. Everybody's manhandled it. Everybody's touched it. By the time it gets back up, other petals have fallen off of it. It's, it's not even like, it's like wilted over just from, you know, everybody like touching it. And, and it comes back and now this rose that started off looking great is like all wilted and jacked up. And, and his whole point is, if you don't stay sexually pure, this is what your life will be like. And everybody's like, dang, okay, you know, I, I get it. I get the object lesson. End of the message, they go home. His friend that came with him, she was a girl, and a couple weeks later, sometime later, she was in the hospital for something, and he goes to visit her in the hospital, and as they're having, this conver- they're having a conversation about things, she stops him, and she asks him this question, just kind of out of the blue. She says, do you, do you see me as a broken rose? But like that imagery from that, that message that had so captivated her that, that she had been thinking about it, and that was, that was what the evangelist wanted her to, to, to get. Like, like, don't be that. And I understand, his, I understand his point. I understand what he's trying to do. He's trying to, like, like hey, live in purity because purity is better. But I want you to understand what Paul says here. 
It's counterintuitive to what the evangelist said. Because yes, you may be a wilted rose with petals falling off, but God is rich in grace and he's rich in mercy. And God takes that broken down rose that was in this kingdom over here, chasing after selfish things that was broken and unsatisfied and cotton sin and cotton addiction. Then it be drugs. It could be relationship addiction. It could be pornography addiction. It could be food addiction. It could be the addiction for, for wanting people to like you. I mean, it doesn't just have to be drugs and alcohol. It was caught in that and the rose was, was all jacked up. And instead of that being the end of the story, God is rich in mercy and he's rich in grace. And, and it was in nothing that you did. It was by grace that God took your old rose and threw it away and gave you a brand new rose. And said, so this, this is you. This is the kingdom. And so Paul is painting this this picture of these two different kingdoms. He says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, when you were dead and had no hope, verse five, he, God, made us alive, not just made you alive, but he made you alive together with Jesus. You weren't just made alive. You were made alive and sat right next to Jesus. He saved you a seat in the heavenly places, verse seven, so that in the coming ages, he might show you the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Paul's given this, 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 this picture he wants you to see that's separated by the but God. This is where you were, and it was really bad, but God, and it's really good. And he's reminding the Ephesians, the guys he's writing this letter to, they're all in this kingdom. He says, you remember, you were over there, you're not now, and he's trying to get them to see and remember what it used to be like. And here's why that passage is pertinent to us. Because we walk around people every day who are spiritually dead. They're the walking dead. And we used to be there. And if this picture, this but God line, paints such a, a vast difference in the way those two kingdoms function and the way those two lives look, we ought to be able to, to on a regular basis, realize the difference of where we were and where we are and when we see friends that are still there, we ought not be desensitized to it. It ought not look normal to us. We ought to go, hey, this world is so radically different. What God is doing in my life is a game changer. My life, I used to be there. Let me tell you what God is doing in my life. It, it is, it, we, we'd see people all the time going, spiritually dead, spiritually dead, spiritually dead. Hey, come on, come with me. Come, but we just walk around like, we can't even tell the difference. I don't. I don't watch The Walking Dead, not, not because I like a moral high ground. It, it, whenever I started talking about it, it was like in season three, and I don't have Netflix, so I couldn't go back and watch it. But when the spinoff, Fear the Walking Dead, came out, I was like, okay, I'm going to start watching that because everybody's going to be talking about it. And then what I found out is nobody watches that either. So, like I, but, so I'm watching Fear the Walking Dead. Now, here's what I know. It's true of Fear the Walking Dead and every zombie movie I've ever seen. There is absolutely positively, no confusion on who the zombies are and who the zombies aren't, right? Zombies walk around dragging a foot, moaning, trying to eat people's brains. The regular people don't do that. There's, there's never been an episode like in a zombie movie or Fear of the Walking Dead where the, the human who was alive went up and just started talking to somebody about the cowboy game and halfway through the conversation went, ah, you're a zombie, and ran, they, they know by looking at them. 
They know by the, by, by the way they move. And I'm not saying that you look and see somebody spiritually dead and you go, oh, by the way they walk, they must be lost. But you, you see their life, there ought to be this difference because what God is doing in my life in this kingdom has made me so different that I stand apart from them. But we're desensitized. I'm telling you guys, you're gonna go to school tomorrow and you've got friends. You've got friends who are in this kingdom that the wrath of God is turned towards. And we don't even notice. We can't even tell a difference between them and us. So here's what we do. Here's why it's important. Here's here's the take home, the homework, if you will. And the first thing is this. We in this kingdom, we've got to beware of our hypocrisy. We've got to make sure that people are spiritually dead actually can tell a difference in our lives than their lives. That's one of the reasons why we're desensitized because nobody's walked up to you going, hey, what's different in your life? And since they don't ask you that, your life looks a lot like theirs sometimes. It just looks normal. We we have to beware of hypocrisy. You know, Jesus had some pretty harsh words for the religious leaders of his day. The people who were supposed to be in this kingdom, the people who should have, because they'd been studying the scripture for, for years, they should have recognized Jesus when he showed up. They should have said, this guy matches all the Old Testament prophecies. That's the Messiah. That's what we've been waiting for for hundreds, of thousands, hundreds and thousands of years. But they were so religious that Jesus said in Matthew, I believe it's Matthew 22. Matthew, I don't know. Is it up there? Matthew 23. There it is. Matthew 23. You can write it down and look later. Jesus said to these guys, he said, you know what? You're like whitewashed tombs. You look great on the outside, but you're dead on the inside. He said, you look like you're in this kingdom, but you're actually still in this kingdom. He said, there's some people that are, that are living a, a life of hypocrisy. And that is, man, that, that is dangerous to what God has called us to do. And, and we've got to be aware of that to make sure that we're not there. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Here's the take home. Sometime this week, or if we have some time tonight, we're going to take two or three minutes, maybe even just start this process. Would you just take some time this week, carve out 10, 15 minutes, pull out your phone, set a timer so that you don't forget, just pull out your phone now, put an alarm, put inventory or meditation, sometime when you know you're going to be home, maybe it's later tonight, 10 o'clock, before you go to bed, so so it will remind you, and just spend 10 or 15 minutes and go, God, show me where I've been hypocritical. God, show me where my life looks like the old kingdom instead of the new kingdom. And, and just, take, I mean, just, just pray that and be quiet 10 minutes. I mean, you could do 10 minutes to take a step in your spiritual walk. Say, God, show me where I've been hypocritical. And now here's what's going to happen. The Lord is going to reveal some things to you. I've been doing that this week, about some, working through a thing called Regen that I'm going through with our staff. It's a, it's a 12-step recovery, and our entire pastoral staff is going through it. And so we're going to do a spiritual inventory, things that you are uh, resentful about is what I've been working on this week. And I sat down with it, and I went, I'm not a resentful person. I'm not, I don't have any grudges. I'm not mad at anybody. I don't resent anything. And so I just said, okay, God, God if I'm resentful about anything, just show me so I can write it down. My list is now has six things in it. <laughs> like I sat down going, but when I asked God, show me, he did. So go home and go, God, show me where I'm a, hip- I'm a hypocrite. God, show me where my life doesn't match. And then when he shows you, start doing something with him about it. Here's a second piece of homework. Remember that we've got the cure for the dead around us. We've got the answer for the people. So, again, are y'all, is anybody in here actually like zombie movie fans or Walking the Dead people, walk, the Walking Dead people? Okay, so 
So here's what happens in almost every zombie movie. If you've ever seen one, you'll get this. When the zombies come, the, the, the living people do one of two things. They either run, they, they, they run away, and they build like a fort, or they build something that they can, they can keep the zombies out of, and they can live and they survive. Zombies are out there, survivors are in here, or they fight, and they go and they chop off zombies' heads, you know, or, you know, stab them in the brain or something like that. And so, so that, that's one of the two things that happens every zombie movie. You're either running for safety, or you're fighting the zombies, or you're fighting the zombies on your way to safety. I mean, that, that's it. Now, now, what happens for us, we're in this kingdom, the spiritually alive. We're going to school tomorrow with the walking dead, the spiritually dead, and, and we're doing those same things. We're either running away from people who are lost and going, you know what, I'm going to build my own little Christian kingdom. Just all Christian friends. I don't want any, I don't want any of those people in my, in my world. Let's put up some walls and fences because they might come and they might, they might do some bad things and they might, they might get me. So just Christians, just Bibles, just Christian music, just Jesus, nothing. We don't want, we don't want any part of that. Sounds, sounds like a plan. The problem is we've got the cure and we've hidden away. Or Christians do the opposite and they fight. And they find a friend who is like, they're pro-choice and the Christian's pro-life. We talked about, you know, worldview last week. And so instead of loving the person with a cure, we want to argue with them, explain to them why they're wrong. Because and, 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 we think that if we just argue and prove the point, that, that as we argue them, they're going to go, you know what? I was pro-choice, but you argued so well that I'm going to move to pro-life. That will never happen. It doesn't work that way. But we either fight or we flee. And the scripture tells us there's, a, there's an alternative that zombie movies don't talk about very often. There's a cure for the spiritually dead. There's a way that moves them from this kingdom to this kingdom, and we've experienced that his name is Jesus. So here's the homework. Here's the question. Who are you going to share the gospel with this week? We just went through five weeks of Game Changer. You should know the gospel now. God set up the world so that it worked great. Sin broke it. Jesus fixed us and redeemed us. We now join Jesus in the work, and God's going to bring a new heaven and a new earth. Who are you sharing the gospel with this week? Who, who are you going to offer the cure to? Maybe you go, I can't remember that. I can't remember the game changer thing. I try. Who are you going to share your story with? Who are you going to tell your story about, hey, I used to be here, and Jesus changed me, and here's what he's doing now. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're not there yet. Maybe in your journey, you're still struggling with being able to tell your testimony to somebody without stuttering and sweating all over yourself. Who are you inviting next week? We're, in the, we're kind of in the spring. Numbers start to dwindle some. There's going to be seats. Room won't be packed. Who are you going to bring with you next week? An, an invite to say, hey, come here. what God can do in your life. Next week, we're going to talk about gossip, girl. We're going to talk about gossip. I, I would, I, if you're going to invite a friend, you probably should invite the friend that you've accused of being a gossip over and then like come and go, yeah, this is why I brought you. you know, but bring somebody. You know, bring somebody, bring them the week after American Idol. Who, who are you delivering the cure to? The band's going to come up, a couple of them. And here's what I want us to do. I want us to think back through just kind of what we've been talking about tonight. This kingdom, if you're in this kingdom right now, if you go, man, my life, I am spiritually dead. I've never, had, I've never moved 
from this kingdom over. I don't have a relationship with Jesus. This would be a time. I'm not going to lead you an invitation, but you can come back and find me. I'll be standing in the back. There'll be some adults coming and go, man, I want to talk a little bit more about that. If you are a believer, we're just, I mean, we're not going to take a long time. We're just going to dim the light some. They're going to just lay down some music behind us. But I want you to take some time just to reflect, some time to meditate, maybe to start that conversation, God, where have I been a hypocrite? God, what is it in my life that I do that causes me not to see people who are the walking dead? Maybe this time, and again, we're talking two or three minutes, not even the length of a song, and they're not even going to sing. It's just you and the Lord. Bowing your head, closing your eyes, conversation with God, not your neighbor. God, who is it that I love which one of my friends, God, that you have placed me in a relationship with that needs the cure so they can experience life, abundant life, here on earth, heaven later? It's going to take a few minutes. When we get done, Brian's going to pray for us, and he's going to dismiss us. This is the end of what we're doing tonight. Before we go, I don't want us to just read the Scripture and then get up and leave and go talk. I want you to do business with God. So I'm going to shut up after I say this. Quiet your mind. Close your eyes. Push homework and what's coming next out of your mind. Take a deep breath and just talk to the Lord for a few minutes tonight and walk out with a resolution of what you're going to do to bring the cure to those who are the walking dead.